clean air and clean water is now controversial. My God. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And it is hot as fuck in Ottawa. I'm I am dying. so melting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, this is the last day of our heat wave. I fucking hope. And I hope, I hope so, it yeah. is not this hot again all goddamn summer. Oh, it will be. I'm so sorry to tell you. <sighs> this hot, like this is this is This is bad. This is record bad. But I feel like if it happens once in a season, it's bound to happen again. We made the Washington Post story for our record-breaking heat on Canada Day. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Saying it was, like, the hottest it has ever been here. I believe it. I feel like after, like, 31, 32, it just all feels the same. Nah. Oh, man. Are you kidding? 44? 44 is different. Yeah. You feel 44. I'm, Yeah. But the 30s, I, I wouldn't even go out of the house in 44. I'd be like, no, this shit can't happen. No. no. Well, and it's it's sad because actually like a lot of people have like lost their lives to this fucking heat wave. In uh, I think in Quebec, there were like mm. 33 three people died. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's alarming. And then you think about all the folks living in shelters and in low income housing and in small apartments and like elderly people and persons with like disabilities who physically couldn't leave their homes even if they wanted to like mm. it's actually fun i'm so upset about it the more i think about it the angrier i get like why is it that we have laws around the temperature like how cold a building can be and like the heating you have to provide but not the act like not the temperature for heat waves when at the same time you know we say like don't leave your babies in the car it's a fucking like some of these apartments are like leaving babies in a car like yeah. a locked car well yeah like i don't have air conditioning no it's and it's brutal like it's you you feel it like i i don't know yeah i, I, I was pretty uh, fucked up spent much of my long weekend when i wasn't out and about laying on the couch watching gossip girl nice um at one point i was like oh i'm gonna like I had ordered food and then later I went to bed like 11.30 and I was like turning my like uh, my iPad off and I was like oh I'm on episode 8. I'm like oh I like started this season like during this binge and I had watched a couple episodes before that. Did I just watch 10 episodes of Gossip Girl in a row? Of course you did. Really, uh, That's a regular day for me. <laughs> really questioned my life choices. I think that's perfectly fine. Plus, if you don't move, you're less likely to be affected by, you know, sure. the heat, the heat just, strain, like, the direct, heat exhaustion. Direct my fans <laughs> Yeah, right exactly. On like me. in one spot. I went to my friend's house with central air. That's smart. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> that's smart. Shout out to her. She knows who she is. That's, that's yeah, yeah should have built up more friendships i just spent like hundreds of dollars like living in outside of the movie theater where by which i mean inside the movie theater <laughs> at one point i thought about going to work over the weekend i was like what if i slept in my office <laughs> would that be weird uh, I, yes uh, <laughs> did you like eat a lot when you went to all of these movies oh yeah i mean there was snacking there was some froyo and then we went to like the rest, like one at like Jack Astor's right next door to the theater, because that's as far as we could like walk out. Right. <laughs> we walked out, so we're like, oh, we made the right call, and then we went right back in. 
<laughs> I, uh, re- I remember like when my family and I moved to Texas. It was in the middle of the heat wave. Oh, no. And so I feel like this is Texas-like. Oh, yeah. Except more humid at night in Texas. Really? Yeah. In Dallas. Huh. Yeah, it's the night heat that really throws me. Day heat, I'm like, okay, we get that. But man, when it's like 35 it's degrees It's at the night, not being able to sleep yeah, in your that bed. Ru- that ruins you, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into it. This week in feminism, well, guys, hate to break it to you, but uh, Doug Ford is officially our premier, sworn in on the last weekday of June, June 29th. Now we're Ford Nation. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, my and how about that cabinet? Goodness. Cabinet's all white people except for one Asian man. Uh, so good for them. Great. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the baby boomers have fucked us over once again. Because if you look at the exit polls, a lot of those people who voted for him were baby boomers. I don't disagree with that. I just don't know that I 100% agree with that. Hmm. Um, anyway, so it was announced today. So we've changed our recording schedule. We're recording this on a Thursday instead of our usual Saturday. So we have nothing for you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just chat. (laughs) It's going to be an hour of us chatting with each other. Um, so the new minister of Ontario Children, Community and Social Services, Lisa McLeod, advised federal immigration minister Ahmad Hussein that the province was going to be stepping back from its involvement in alleviating a crisis sparked by President Donald Trump's policies on migrants. Over the past year, tens of thousands of asylum seekers have arrived in Canada from the United States. This influx has strained the federal, provincial, and municipal facilities earmarked to such unexpected new arrivals. Minister McLeod said on Thursday that Trudeau made a choice in in welcoming the illegal border crossers and the province should not have to foot the bill for that. Quote, he was the one that tweeted out that everyone was welcome here, and as a result of that, we've had thousands of people cross the border illegally, and it's putting a strain on many of our public resources, she said, alluding to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's tweet from January 2017, when the Trump administration first announced its Muslim ban. So Erica, does this sound pretty Trumpian to you? Um, isn't Ford... Okay, I feel like Trump is very Fordian. Explain this. I'm confused. It's like uh, a chicken and egg argument. Uh, it is the chicken and egg argument. But, like, the Ford brothers showed up way before Trump. I mean, on the political scene, sure. Yeah. Well, and bigotry and nationalism is universal. So there's that. But the tone and tenor of it is definitely, like, pretty brash in a, in a Trump-esque way. Well, yeah, like, yeah. you know, her Minister McLeod's quote is, you know, thousands of people crossing the border illegally and, you know, it's straining all these public resources. And th- that wasn't that's not language that we're really used to hearing in Ontario and really kind of in Canada. Oh, oh I don't know. Well, I, yeah. No, like, I mean, like, yes, the federal conservatives do talk about it and it's only kind of really ramped up recently. But to have like a minister kind of say that during such a crisis. Well, and I think the other, I mean, the other thing is the the emphasis on Twitter 
and that it's like one tweet and you know you see like michelle rempel went on this like you know another one of her tweet threads today being like well if the prime minister had been virtue signaled to everyone that you know it was an open like open entry into canada and they'd have this you know you wouldn't have this issue virtue signaling is one of those terms that is very much a right-wing um nationalist term like i feel like for her to use that term is a bit much i mean that's the bulk of people using it for sure and it's it's really dismissive of like solidarity work and like advocacy work and like it's true you can point to trudeau and say he hasn't done enough and i think a lot of people have said that that he's put out this position that canada is so welcoming but then conversely has actually not really done that we've talked about that on this podcast how actually he's been sending minutes he hasn't reversed the the safe third country agreement he's actually he's actually been you know using ministerial resources to send ministers to the u.s to tell asylum seekers that they actually aren't welcome here and they won't be accepted and now they're you know applying harsher conditions in these detention centers and they're not providing proper care there as well and we're we you know we actually do have a similar a system that's very similar in the mistreatment of asylum seekers here and so i would say like absolutely you know, Trudeau is not like doesn't live up to the that invitation that he tweeted about. But that's not the issue here. And it's really interesting how they're shirking that responsibility. The issue is that there is money, federal money to assist provinces and to help make into like, uh, you know, uh, inviting and making asylum seekers you know, able to uh, live comfortably or be at least have some basic necessities when they when they arrive. What Tr- Ford is saying is essentially that we're reject that Ontario is going to reject this money, and that but for asylum seekers there wouldn't be a housing crisis, which is an extremely absurd <laughs> proposition because like when we have a housing crisis, regardless, and a lot of uh, and it's not asylum seekers who are the ones edging people out; it's actually <laughs> like wealthy investors and people you know on like single multiple homes, the cost of housing, the lack of building of affordable spaces. I mean, we could go on, right? Well, I think there's um, another issue here, too. And that is the fact that the conservatives, the federal conservatives, have been called out for not telling the truth on social media in terms of what they have put out there as messaging. That it has been uh, insidiously manipulated to manipulate the public. Now, which is in itself very Trumponian, or you could say very Fordian, or as I explained earlier. And I think that that's something to watch. Um, These are the Ontario Conservatives, but made no mistake, I don't, I believe that that's the direction they will go in. I also believe that all of those quote-unquote strong female ministers will participate fully in that. I'm tired of these women, these conservative women like Lisa McLeod and whoever, there are a few others, telling us lies to, telling us lies and then claiming that they're being left out of feminism. Like, I, I'm just tired. I feel like that what popped off this week too. And... I will see, trust me, mark my words, we will see these same women not um, curtail Ford's um, extravagances or, or in terms of behavior, 
but I think they he will set the tone and they will follow. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. Um, and I think that, you know, Trudeau's tweet wasn't like Donald Trump, where Donald Trump tweets something and all of a sudden that's policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Trudeau is more implying that in Canada, we are much more welcoming more generally of absolutely no i don't take the tweet to be in that way but we put so much stock in tweets that it's easy now for the conservatives to point to that and And say and it very much aligns with the the, the liberals messaging on being hopey changey and very like fluffy everything that they tweet is very positive but the conservatives themselves are the ones that set that standard to always rely on tweets yeah and it's like it's like they created the structure and the system Mm -hmm. and then they're you know blaming trudeau for using uh, like for doing something completely not that and then complaining about the system again it's like it's like it's a cycle with them does it seem like federally and i guess in ontario i think it's too early to tell but i my guess is going to be yes does it seem like we're kind of having a much more kind of divergent views on these issues that's kind of mirroring what's going on in the States? Because, like, in America right now, it's, things are very polarized, and it, it's very hard mm. to reach a common ground. And I think that we're kind of heading in that direction where you're either, like, I'm very against illegal people, pe- people who are not, like, asylum seekers or people who are illegal yeah. crossing the border versus, oh, everyone's welcome here. Like, I don't think... I feel like the sentiment has always been there. I mean, as Ontario gets more diverse, especially in the cities, um, I think there has been a tension that is um, maybe more white versus, uh, I feel like... Us versus them. Us versus them, right. So I, I feel as though it's just that, you know, the Conservative Party is very deft at... Um, at at corralling that and giving it a purpose yeah i mean i think i think certainly that sentiment so it has always been there we tend to agree but i think now what's happened is that people have more of an opportunity to manipulate language and to manipulate the realities in a way that i i don't think was easy as easy to do uh, in the past, and so people might have been more blunt and said no more immigration. Period. Now you have people saying illegal migrants and people jumping the queue, which is a complete misnomer um, to say that. Well, one that anyone's illegal per se. There are irregular crossings, and that ha- that is a byproduct of n- of policies from the last half decade. Yeah. That like have made it so that people are are forced to enter on foot because we don't recognize them if they've landed uh, in other ways or from certain countries such as coming through the U.S. And ultimately, we don't know until someone is processed whether or not their claim is legitimate. And if it's not legitimate, then they're sent back and there are flaws and they have an appeal process and there's flaws with that process as well, but fine. But for the conservatives to be able to like use this language of illegal immigration, which is completely imported from the U.S., it's not like you know, it's not, uh, and, and nor and it's wrong there too, and it's certainly wrong here as well. 
Uh, but to use to use that language, I think it's so incendiary. It's it's like extremely offensive. Um, as we're recording this, I just put out um, some more news that Trudeau and Doug Ford sat down at a meeting today where essentially Trudeau had to expl- like explain to Premier Ford what the asylum means and what the asylum process is. This very much reminds me of when <laughs> Barack Obama met with Donald Trump and had yeah. to like explain right. things to him, right. how government works. Right. And so that's, I mean, but that like you imagine like that meeting must have been like, look, here, here are the different qualifications. Like here are the reasons why people would come here. There's all sorts of grounds why they would qualify. And we don't know. And this is what they do. And this is what like resettlement means because people don't just come and get to go wherever we find ways, especially if they're government sponsored to resettle them in certain parts of the country. So it's not just Toronto it's like an integrated process across the provinces and so when the largest province says we're opting out and we're not doing this anymore and we're not accepting the money from the federal government because you're not paying for housing or these other things which Doug Ford has never really been a proponent of anyway I mean it's just so fucking insulting so I mean I hope he got a dressing down although I don't think that'll play well as far as polarizing people (laughs) Well, Trudeau dressing down someone? Yeah, that's not That's yeah. not <laughs> happening <laughs> no, anytime but, soon. But at, well, that's essentially what how it's being said. That's at essentially the very what least. <laughs> he's like threatened Doug Ford's masculinity and like knowledge <laughs> oh, on no. things and like making him feel insecure. Yeah, his masculinity. Because, like, how could this like pretty boy know more than me and I like be telling me what's what? I feel gross to be supporting like that, but I'm also like good riddance. Good. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness. All right. So staying in Ontario. A recent rash of shootings in Toronto, some of which have been fatal, has raised questions about whether gun violence has increased significantly in the city and how much of a role street gangs are actually playing. The dead come from all over Toronto in all walks of life. They range in age from 17 to 45. They were killed at home, in their cars, on the street, in Kensington Market, and outside nightclubs. Two are young rappers mourned by Toronto's music scene. Toronto Mayor John Tory stated earlier this week that he expects that police will do everything possible to root out the thugs responsible for this violence. He went on to reaffirm his commitment to, quote, putting these gangsters in jail and promised that, quote, the answers are easy if we work together to deploy more police and support the police to actually get thugs behind bars and keep them there. He then, uh, w- he then went on to say that the city will be hiring 200 more police officers in the coming months. Mayor Tory is calling for a meeting between the city, the province, and the federal government on the issue. At the same time in Ottawa, the city has seen an uptick in the number of shootings across the city. Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson, a.k.a. my favorite person, mm-hmm. um, is also opting to take a more tough-on-crime approach. However, if either of these mayors were actually interested in developing solutions for their cities that are based in evidence, they would know that more punitive measures don't work. So, Amy, these mayors, they're not stupid generally. Um, they've got some degree of intellect sure. compared to our premier. Sure. Um, what do you That's a low ass bar. Listen. That bar is subterranean. Look, I'm gonna entertain it. I'll give you that. All right, let's go. Let's see where it's going. What, what do you think the logic is here with their tough on crime approaches? Are they trying to be some sort of white saviors? Are they trying to flex some masculinity? Are they trying to pander to 
there are more conservative mm-hmm. um, constituents given that there are elections coming up in the fall. I mean, I think it's it's probably a, a mix of all of those things, but I think, um, you know, increased funding to police uh, services is the easiest thing you can do. It's not the right thing, and it's definitely, I would argue, the, the, a harmful thing and foolish thing to do but it's literally the easiest thing you can do is allocate more funding in that direction it's quick it's a really vis it's high visibility and unfortunately our our fucked up colonized minds hear more police and like for a lot of people that means like well at least something's gonna happen and they're not gonna target me they're going to target the bad guys they know it's gangs so they'll target the gangs and people are somewhat assured by that i think it's a very easy move to make for political gain, not just among conservatives, but I would believe across the board. Yeah, people who probably aren't in informed about how policing works and how yeah. the criminal justice system works, yeah, or or and how and who's actually targeted and what the impact is is in certain communities and and what would be more effective. People don't want long term strategy. Don't want to talk about providing you know affordable housing. They don't want to hear about how like better better education and like less suspensions for like racialized students and black students will actually help them like succeed like all that stuff is like people it's too intellectual people don't understand it and instead of like having an intelligent conversation or doing the work that we've known we needed to do for decades and decades it's easier to just be putting more money into police services i feel like this is um economic inequality just playing out in other ways toronto is one of the most economically unequal um city in this country mm-hmm. um i don't know who's worse the inner vancouver i don't know but it it is and it's gotten really bad over the last few years um and i really do think that what that's done is it's given way to to social problems and gun violence is one of those problems crime is one of those problems and that's what happens when we don't um when we really don't vote for things like minimum wage Mm -hmm. um i think that's one of the byproducts that people don't necessarily think about when they're arguing the issue which is that minimum wage was not like giving people something for nothing. It was correcting an economic flaw of um, of stagnant wages mm-hmm. fuck yeah. and stagnant real wages. So yeah. I, I like fuck John like Tory too. Like he, he <laughs> <laughs> does it make you Randy? <laughs> I mean, it's hot in here, but I don't know what the cause is. <laughs> so, so, um, and Toronto media has been really, really bad yeah. at exploiting that. And, you know, I think of, I think it's blog to or is a Toronto life that is just so terrible when it talks about, um, all the all the oh well they only make three hundred thousand dollars but they're buying a fixer oh my god that's my least that's my least and (laughs) most favorite article yeah yeah. you know what i mean like those kinds of articles fuel how things like these housing crises crises and it's it's also because i mean 
not everybody has the intergenerational wealth mm-hmm. to to transfer um, a lot uh, to transfer a down payment to their kid. And it's yeah, yeah. So two things that like so what you're saying. In is other that words, that it, it like income inequality is going to increase yes. just solely because of that. So the wealth inequality. And like an increase of gun violence could be a byproduct of just general inequality more generally a social inequality mm-hmm. yeah and people being driven out and yeah. when you talk about why people get involved in gang violence i mean it there is are economic gains there sure or people at least feel there is a short-term economic gain in participating right. in that kind of activity when there are no other options there i mean that's well yeah when known you, <laughs> when you watch like any sort of documentary about gang members they always say well i had to like support my fa- my, my mom and my sisters and my yeah. family because like my father was in prison or whatever yeah. the reason is. and like, yeah. Or no one was around because they were all out working multiple jobs. That's the other like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second thing I wanted to say is uh, a friend of mine on Facebook today was talking about um, country clubs and how millennials aren't it being involved in country clubs and uh-huh, don't. Boo-hoo. Which oh, man. These like, <sighs> which is like interesting in one way. And I was like, oh, well, like that makes sense because like as millennials, we value experiences over things we don't like. We like sh- like we like golf. Sure. We like eating food. Sure. But yeah. our values are just like fundamentally different. Yeah. But you raise make, make a good point in that. Like and I, this is also like coupled with something that I read about why people are having fewer to no children than they actually want to. It's because a lot of them are worried about the economy. They're worried about student debt. They're worried. Healthcare. Healthcare costs and all of these other things that we just can't afford to become members of country clubs or whatever. And we can't even afford Toronto Star subscriptions. It's so fun. Exactly. And it goes (laughs) back to that intergenerational wealth because the people who do have that intergenerational wealth are rich white people who were colonizing the country, North America, and value those types of things. Um, Anyways, getting back to getting back to gun violence. (laughs) Uh, Erica, on Twitter today, Vicky Mochama noted that it seems as though the gun violence issue in Toronto and the response to it is making the city to be kind of Canada's version of Chicago. (laughs) Do Do you think that's accurate? And why do you think that John Tory is so eager to paint his city in that light? Or do you even think that he intends to do that? I feel like John Tory is creating the accident so that he can be the ambulance. Uh, so his white savior. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I it's also so he can get reelected, like let's be honest. I'm that cynical today. Under <laughs> under his steady hand. Yes, um, yes. I, I mean by the same logic you could say that the reason for the gun violence is his own inaction. But I mean, he, he, he doesn't want to say that. He wants to sure. say that it's you like, know a few y- bad people who really are easy to target. A few bad fa- it was, this but man yeah. is just like he sucks as a crime mayor. This is a man who let um, a serial killer basically stalk the gay community in Toronto and did nothing. Okay, there wasn't there wasn't like outpour of 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 John Tory's even attention before, you know, how many people had he killed? I, I don't know. I feel like it I've was... I've lost count. Uh, exactly. Okay? So he fucking sucks. He sucks. Yeah. And Chief Mark sucks. Oh, my God. I can't. I can't. I just can't. He's just awful. 
awful. He, he actually there's is there a third? Because then they they would make the Three Stooges. I swear to God. Toss Dr. Ford in there. Yes. Oh my gosh! Somebody like, should make a like. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so the other thing that came out. Yes. A meme, people. Yeah. We need a meme. Tweet it out to us. I'll give at you the tie-in for Doug Ford. Uh, I think it was yesterday or today. He announced that they're putting. There was the uh, uh, liberal bill that would have brought in some uh, additional support for the special investigation, the SIU special investigation units that oversee police officers and maintain, like, you know, where you would direct your complaints to ensure accountability. It was passed and the, there was, uh, it was just waiting to be implemented And there. I don't think they had uh, their uh, date coming into force date was like waiting for the premier to implement and they put it on hold. And so they're not putting resources into accountability or oversight for police, uh, despite the fact that the liberals dragged their feet, spent a lot of time, quote unquote, consulting to develop this bill, which is fine. OK, what like let's say you give them that now Doug Ford saying that he wants to put it on hold so that he can consult with the wide breadth of the community, because obviously he didn't like who the liberals <laughs> consulted with and wants to use that so as he a wants cover to, yeah. to, mm. to do nothing and let the police run ra- like wild. But didn't we, speaking of police running wild, are we still on police running wild? Oh, we're so fucking far left. (laughs) I was just like, I was going to bring in. Okay, so didn't the Trudeau government just pass, um, or was it Ontario that passed the, the drinking and weed? and driving laws that was canada that was that was canada wide right which expanded police powers too i mean what is this like uh, the liberals act like democrats i swear to god like you can't you can't trust them worth shit so i've slammed the liberals the conservatives i feel like we're on a roll here (laughs) i think that's a good good place to cut it off and change gears a bit um, something that caught my eye this week was uh, the news that Denmark's government is introducing a new set of laws to regulate life in 25, quote, ghetto, low-income, and heavily Muslim enclaves that would compel individuals to assimilate to Danish life. For example, starting at the age of one, these so-called ghetto children must be separated from their families for at least 25 hours a week not including nap time, for mandatory instruction in, quote, Danish values, which includes the traditions of Christmas and Easter and, of course, Danish language. Noncompliance could result in a stoppage of welfare payments. Other Danish citizens are free to choose whether to enroll children in preschool up to the age of six. Other examples of punitive measures include giving the authority to impose a four-year prison sentence on immigrant parents who force their children to make extended visits to their country of origin, which have been called re-education trips, and the granting of the authority to judges to apply a double punishment for crimes committed in one of the 25 ghetto neighborhoods. Of 22 proposals presented by the government in the so-called, quote, ghetto package put forward in early March, Most have been agreed upon by a parliamentary majority with others subject to a vote in the fall. Some of the proposals have been rejected as being too radical, like one from the far-right Danish People's Party that would confine these so-called ghetto children to their homes after 8 p.m. When challenged on how this would be enforced, the chairman of the parliament's integration committee suggested in earnest 
that young people in these areas could be fitted with electronic ankle bracelets. <laughs> um, so we tend to think of Scandinavian countries as socialist havens. Yet since the well, white people think that. Sure. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Liberal white people. This is their like Shangri-La. OK. Sure. Um, but since and the, I'm side eyeing all of them right now. Okay. But uh, since the migrant crisis in Europe began a few years ago, I think more people have um, opened their eyes to the nativist tendencies of these countries. Um, and I think that when we think of Scandinavian countries as socialist havens, we just think of them as providing a wide array of social services and having mm-hmm. a very large social safety net. Um, and we don't think about the immigration and how they're. That's a great point. We I'm just, glad you brought this up. Yeah, we don't think about them being like socially left, but like more like immigration on the right. Because the left, okay, so liberal white people have created this mirage of economic equality equals racial equality, which I think is something that Bernie Sanders um, really used as sort of trying to reach out to the black community in his campaign and it's this it's just this assumption and I don't even know where it came from because nobody actually questions that and so when we look at Scandinavia I was surprised when I read the story I was like oh my god and then I thought haha I guess none of us have heroes motherfuckers none of us (laughs) um so Amy Mm -hmm. as our socialist our resident socialist Thank thank you Um, The story says that some Danes are upset because these migrants can't find work and are therefore draining the social safety net because working Danes pay over 50% of their salary in taxes. Um, But haven't they always paid that? Did the taxes go up? I don't like fear. It's fear of a free rider. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Given this like fear of like people being. Go having a free ride, like isn't that kind of counter to like the actual values of socialism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think it's uh, it's pretty antithetical to that. I mean, for first and principally, I mean, I would want to reiterate, like people aren't their economic value to like their value isn't their ability to economically contribute and their utility to others. Like there is like just on a basic human level and that should be the foundation of any of these social programs. And the moment you make it about you're paying like it becomes a consumer model. And that's not. I agree with you, actually. I I completely agree with that. I don't care if you've never worked a day in your life. You still have value to the society. It's not about your output economically. And the moment you start thinking that it's really dangerous. But we always. Well, we do. Every time. Absolutely. And we have it here, too. This idea that. You know, we're every politician says they're looking after the middle class, working Canadians. Da, da, da. All of that is actually coded language against wealth mm-hmm. people who rely on state welfare programs. It and is, it's really it is class warfare, to be honest. For sure. Yeah. But uh, but again, it, it, this this discussion of like, well, I pay 50 percent. And so I'm entitled to the social benefits I get, whether I use them or not. But I'm contributing. If you're not contributing, you don't get them. That's I mean, the opposite of any of what our universal models are based on. And we're seeing that and ha- come it, up here as well. Isn't now. that what they're praised for is to have that model, that universal model? Well, I think we've been yes. duped. It's or universal for some people, apparently. Ah. Well, exactly. So like ah. what makes them different than a normal capitalist society? Then they just pay higher taxes and have more welfare for 
people who quote unquote deserve it. Well, that's it. And the, like, you know, a small close knit culture that where, you know, you know, everyone you have, you know, you can recognize the other like people and families and recognize yourself in them and they are all deserving. But anyone who does not fit that bill doesn't then then your generosity suddenly is a little like short. And that and I think like that, like that it's racist. It's fun. Like, I mean, and the thing is, it's it's funny because it's so bluntly racist, like the language of this policy. It's actually comical. But then I was thinking about it and I realized like a lot of these things we've sort of tried to do here in Canada, like the penalty thing kind of reminds me of Stephen Harper's barbaric practices like mm. Id- like idea and that Kelly Leach also like riffed on for a bit and thank God they're not in power because they would have pulled that shit and like same with like making it so that either you have to work or be contributing in some way to get certain benefits or this idea of free rider is like a constant thing that conservatives often uh, raise when people talk about uh, any sort of I love how they program. don't talk about all the subsidies that go to corporations just to produce their fucking product. Like that's free rider to me. Yeah, I am point. so sick of these. Fu- you know what? Okay, so I'm gonna get perched. I'm so sick of all of these bit businesses or sorry companies that need government help to survive and then they cry jobs and every government gets on their knees and sucks their dick i feel like that's what's happening and nobody ever talks about the subsidies that corporations get and not only that i mean can we talk about the media industry too like these fuckers are falling apart. They don't even know their ass from their elbow and they want money. Fuck you. Like, I, I can't. I just, I'm just tired of the, I, I'm just like, if you're going to complain about that, let's be motherfucking consistent. Mm-hmm. That's well, my it's, issue. It's funny if that you, there's more rights and dignity in being a corporation than it, there is being an individual. <laughs> being the wrong kind, kind of individual. Of individual. Yeah, for sure. And again, like, no, like, nobody cares. Does nobody like, uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. Why am I asking stupid questions? So, Amy, you said something that I want to get you guys' opinion on is that um, we do this in Canada. We talk about the middle class and like people wanting to join the middle class. The big liberal talking point is we are developing policies for the middle class and those who want to join it. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that language within this context. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I I think it's one and the same, but it's a way to work around this idea that they're only speaking for certain people uh, and to sound more egalitarian than they are. And it's not to say that you know, everyone shouldn't have a good wage that would qualify us all to be middle class. Like I, that would, that's ideal, but it's the derision and like the exclusion and the fact that people who don't have that income don't have a say in politics. And in fact, are marginalized. We know that people who are lower income don't vote, that they're not engaged and all of these other, uh, they're excluded in, in more ways than one. And then you have language that that, that is marginalizing. Erica, what are your thoughts as the, our brand expert here? Um, I think the liberals' brand is pretty duplicitous at this point. <laughs> they really are. Nobody, like, 
this immigration thing, this asylum, I don't even, I don't even want to call it immigration, uh, migration patterns, let's say. I don't know. You know what? The liberal brand is fading, to be honest. I think it's fading with, with people who are more traditionally NDP, especially, I'm looking at you, Amy. <laughs> I'd never have voted. I know, I know you wouldn't have, but you are the, you are the NDP resident expert. And um, I think, I think that that uh, how much that accounted for his election in 2015, I think we're going to see how that plays out next year. I'm not sure how many, I'm not sure how big that population is. Mm -hmm. But to them, the liberal brand is tarnished. To liberals, like hardcore liberals, they just love Justin Trudeau. And I think that brings up a very interesting point that doesn't always get pointed out. Like this idea of people somewhat living in their own bubbles. I feel like the liberal, the hardcore liberals live in their own bubble of the greatness of Trudeau. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't I don't think that they are any more with it or informed than their conservative partners, let's say. And um, I, I, I think that that's going to be, I think it's unfortunate, but I also think it's probably going to play out in the short term. That's basically. So going back to the, the Denmark situation, Erica, I know that, you know, you obviously weren't surprised by like the overt racism here, much like Amy wasn't. I don't know. Denmark, like Denmark, like I expected a little bit more, <laughs> you know, come come to dinner. Like, you know oh, what I mean? I've, I've not heard anyone I know who's like visibly racialized has traveled to Denmark. I mean, they would like, poison you at dinner. But like, oh, sure, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I just thought but I wouldn't say realize. it to your face. Right. I, uh, right. I don't know. That's what I expected from Denmark. But damn. Well, yeah. So. Um, how does what's happening in Denmark reflect what's hap has happened and is happening in North America in terms of segregation and how we treat black and brown people? Um, I think I think probably Denmark learned from us. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, they learned from France. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they have they have they no have shortage numerous of, examples. They have no shortage, yeah, for sure, of, of who to compare the to. The Netherlands. The unfortunate you know. thing about this is that, like it's so stigmatizing. The uh, this the the New York Times is is what imported this story to the West and have uh, published a long uh, article like speaking closely with with uh, you know. Danes who are racialized have Muslim backgrounds and live in these uh, quote unquote ghetto communities. I don't know the fuck they got that language from. That must have been from us. And but I'm sure I assume they're not trying to reference the Warsaw ghettos because if that's the case, they they could be a little bit. Did they miss out on World War Two or I something? Know. No, I think it like actually it's, a tr it's a translation, and it may have a different. Uh, I think okay, I think, but they definitely reference the the Warsaw ghettos. Uh, yeah, and it's unfortunate story. that their learning moment, though, from that is that you need to assi forcibly assimilate people sure. like that. Like that's disturbing. But aside from that, I guess my point is that the people affected these 25 communities that are singled out are identified based on the number of people who are foreign born and uh, rates of crime, low income, and lack of education, but it, it but encompasses, and not that I think these people deserve more rights, but folks who've lived in Denmark 
for years and years and decades and are citizens and yeah. like they're not like new and it's they're a fabricated the ones that are going to get it if there's any hope for repeal they're the ones that are going to get it repealed the, well, the, I don't the I don't know if that's quote the unquote case. They're ca- they're gonna traditional be, Danes that are caught up in I, the I'm mix. not talking about no, no, traditional no, no, Danes. Oh, okay. racialized oh Danes I see I see because when you those when you talked about the criteria I was like well, well that you could you may yeah. have poor whites trapped like caught up in that like okay like that's that's who i thought you were trapped talking about. by this okay. matrix okay. but uh but it's like it's like there you know the there's nothing you can do apparently even getting a job and raising your family there and having educated kids and want you know whatever else that will make you equal in the eyes of of like the rest of denmark and just how fucked is oh that? my gosh i just realized something or just something just came to me White people imposing, um, which we'll call it, um, oh shit, uh, respectability politics on marginalized people to assimilate them so called into the culture, but having secondary status. It's a smokescreen for them. Totally. Sorry, I just, I just. Yeah, I think it's elusive. Like that's a moving goal. You'll, ex- it'll never. It'll be never. A that's not yeah, the point. Exactly. The point isn't actual assimilation. The point is to deter you from even showing up yeah. there. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. But I think the point of you know, w- w- let's say white people asserting the 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 love of assimilation to me is so that they can ultimately be in control of you on their turf, on their rules. It's just a power play, right? And so, and I'm not saying that that's conscious for every white person out there. I'm sure they don't even realize it, right? But, you know, ignorance is no excuse. Yeah, and so, you know, just like... We're here. Tell your saying friends. Saying that people... <laughs> saying that, like, these Muslim people are and these people in these quote-unquote ghetto communities don't deserve social services is very similar to what's kind of going on in the states right now because in Kentucky, their uh, Republican governor canceled their Medicaid and dental and vision benefits after losing a court challenge for a work requirement. Mm -hmm. So basically, he said people who are on Medicaid who need to have uh, dental and vision benefits subsidized by the government who don't work X number of hours that I've deemed appropriate per week can't have these benefits. And the court was like, fuck that. You Mm -hmm. can't do that. And he was like, well, then no one gets it. So absurd. I I don't think that's going to hold up either, but it's such a funny way to double down. Yeah. Yeah. But big picture, though, like in that case, I feel like, uh, um, well, the, I, I, I feel like Citizens United has done more to undermine actual democracy than anything else. Like, I, I feel as though the money in government or the money that is used to elect certain officials is money that's used as an investment for their compliance to their donors' um, whims and policy, like, their policy likes or whatever you know what i'm trying to say um and that in itself 
is scary because you, they can actually overturn the judiciary, which is what they're doing, which means that these kinds of things will continue to happen. Well, that's also happening in Maine where, like, there was a referendum on Medicare, Medicaid expansion or Medicare expansion, and the governor was like, I don't want to do this. This is dumb. Like, I'm not doing it. And the court was like, no, you have to. And he's just going to be like, nah, we're going to repeal it through the House mm-hmm. and the Senate because they're c- Republican run. So they're just going to repeal the yeah. law that the citizens voted for. Yeah. 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 That's donors versus citizens. Yeah. That's what w- that's what's going on in the states right now. And I think that those are the ramifications. Like everything stems from that. Mm-hmm. I feel like even Trump, because Citizens United was what, 14, 2014? 20, mm-hmm. was it earlier? I don't, I, I feel like earlier. it was around it was 2012. Early. It was earlier. And anyway, all this, I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> but all this to say um, that allowing all that money in politics fundamentally shaped the trajectory of politics and the trajectory of the judiciary due to that. That's what I'm saying. And so now, who knows what else is going to... And with that crazy fucking um, SCOTUS there, and considering the Republican... This is what pisses me off about the Democrats, okay? I, I, I am so... They let the Republican... And maybe they couldn't do anything, I don't know, but the Republicans stole that um yeah that supreme court Mm -hmm. and can you imagine now they have two seats they're fundamentally going to change the american judicial landscape and it won't be pretty for decades for decades it's scary they'll put in young young yeah yeah that's what he's looking at is people in their 50s that's right yeah 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 um yeah, but that's a completely different conversation Sorry. that I want to have at a later date. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be time for I was that conversation. Say many but I think, like, yeah, it's the, it's the Citizens United thing that I hope I explain somewhat coherently. If not, Wikipedia it. I'm sure there's details there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, stay tuned for Rent and Receipts. <laughs> Now we're on to rent and receipts where each of us bring uh, something to share with the others. All right. So I'll kick us off with uh, something that's been uh, very present all week, but not for the reason you think it would be. We've had a kind of public hashing out of what it means to be a feminist on Twitter by, um, you know, the con- led by the conservative uh, party of Canada's women saying that feminism is about equal opportunity broadly speaking, and that liberals have, uh, you know, taken hold of what feminism means and are keeping people out, are controlling are controlling the definition control and controlling this narrative and that, you know, they're, they're mistaken in doing so. And for their part, the liberals are, of course, pushing back and critiquing that. But it really all started with Justin Trudeau groping someone 18 years ago um and not owning up to it and i feel like everybody's wrong everyone looks gross out of this story i mean everyone <laughs> like no one looks good right now everyone's definition of feminism is categorically wrong first of all i'm looking at you minister munseth i'm looking at you fucking lisa Raitt, 
you know, law school feminism class dropout. Um, you know, Michelle Rempel, absolutely also wrong. And it's it's actually funny to see these people tripping over themselves to lay claim to a thing that they all probably derided and would never have labeled themselves as a few years ago. Um, and yet, meanwhile, Justin Trudeau just gets to sit back and say, I have no memory of what happened at that festival 18 years ago, except for the fact that I remember it was wonderful. I had no negative encounters. And uh, that's all he has to say about a groping incident. First of all, just say you probably did it. Okay? Say you did it. Say you don't remember, but it, would, it, it may have happened and you feel bad that it had happened. Whatever. That you don't remember and you had no negative experiences from the event is, got, is one, I don't believe it. Like 99% chance you definitely groped someone 18 years ago. You've probably groped multiple people. But like, that's bullshit. And two, you've given a huge opening. Now every conservative and columnist under the sun, Margaret Wente included, don't oh. worry, I read her piece so you didn't have to, <laughs> and gets to say that, ab among others, have said the same, gets to say, well, here's a double standard. Trudeau is, is selling people to do as he says, not as he does, and how is it possible that he could throw people out of caucus for doing the same thing that he suddenly has amnesia over? Well, first of all, because he did it 18 years ago. I'm not talking about time. I'm saying he didn't do it while exploiting a position of power while in elected government. So if he, as prime minister, gets to choose who's in and out of his caucus, and if they prove to be a liability while they're holding a position of power, that is categorically, these are false comparators, completely false like analogies being drawn here. But also, Trudeau, do better. Like, you're a man trying to lead by example. Like, fucking say, even if I don't remember... I'm part of the problem. Men were like, I may have done this and I want, I'm going to reflect on my actions and I hope I, f I can find a way to mend fences with this person or make it right. Or I'd like to think I've been trying to make it right and I'll be, li and I'm going to be reaching out to people to help me out better. And if this happened, then like, you know, I believe the woman. And why c he can't, one, on the one hand, say believe survivors and then, and then actually feign feign a lack of recollection because the implicit outcome of the, like the immediate follow through of that thought is that she's lying and that can't possibly be his position like that's th that like that's the issue I take anyway I'm sorry I got really ripped up no that's that's quite quite understandable so what do you guys think is the meaning of feminism <sighs> <laughs> is it equal opportunities is it access to abortion is it just the ability for a woman to choose anything even hating other women so here's the thing with the, the definition of feminism is that like we've got rachel harder we've got i don't fucking know like michelle rempel came on this podcast and she said she's a feminist and i don't disagree with her saying that she's a feminist i think that on a s i think if we are looking on a spectrum i think she would probably fall within the spectrum of feminism. I would agree. I think that for her and her values and her political beliefs, that ends at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you, Amy, when you say that you know several years ago, she probably wouldn't have called herself a feminist. And I absolutely 100% agree with that because she was very much against the trans rights bills. You know, I think that she's probably educated herself as she's become 
one more experience as a politician and grown up because she's not much older than us. Well, and there's been a, a work that's been done by sure, feminists absolutely. and feminist scholars and academics and activists to absolutely. carve out what it means to be a feminist. And, and it may be different approaches, but I mean, w- it's feminists who are doing this education work yes. as well. But where my problem lies is with someone like Rachel Harder, who says feminism is about equal opportunity. But then to go on and say, I believe in equal opportunity for men and women, but women shouldn't have abortions. Or, and it's not even or having the abortion, yeah. it's having the access option to. and the option yeah, exactly. to have an abortion. It has nothing <laughs> to do with the actual abortion. The act of abortion is not the point. It is the option. If yeah. a man wants to go have an abortion, fine, go yeah. have one. Please do. So that you know how terrible it is. But what she is. thinks isn't her motherfucking policy. And that's the issue I have. Is that now... they See, my question is, is feminism a collective approach? Or is it an individual approach? Are the outcomes collective? Or are they individual? Is it, is it women or me? That is my question. But that goes back to what we've talked about many times in this podcast and like our support for abortion is like we believe women should have access to abortion. That doesn't mean that my personal belief is that I'm going to go have one. Right. Right. And I think that that I think that people actually need that to be clear and to be because I don't I don't think people are into nuance these days and reason because it's, it's too hard. Or it takes too long. Anyway, all this to say that I, I believe in a collective feminism. Um, I really think that this equal opportunity low bar definition of feminism doesn't leave room for... I think it's too much of a catch-all and it leaves room for... Um, for women to be anti-feminist within the cloak of feminism. And it implies that you have to be pro-woman. And if you're not, if you dislike someone, then you're not a feminist, which is bullshit. Like that Madeleine Albright quote way back when. There's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Fuck you. Yeah. You know what? I will gladly help you as long as you're a good human and you treat people, including myself, with respect. If you were a garbage human, fuck off. Would I rather help women? Yes. Because of my own personal values. Absolutely. Also karma. Yeah. When, oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I guess my definition of feminism would be less of a definition and more of an approach. Sure. So going back to the Trudeau thing, Mm -hmm. what, as our branding expert, do you think about his response, Erica? (laughs) <laughs> it reminds me of Bill Clinton, actually. Remember when Bill Clinton was our misogynist of the week mm-hmm. a few weeks back? It reminds me of what it is. It's this convoluted way to lead you around the issue and, you know, eventually tell you later. They're just leaving themselves room to den- to either say, well, I didn't say that or I didn't say that or whatever. They're just setting up the what if scenario. And so what if what if this woman comes forward? Well, I already said I don't I didn't remember. So, A, I'm not saying that she's lying, but I'm not lying either. 
Yeah, I think there's nothing. Which is double speak. And well, I, to be clear, he's again the duplicitous liberal yeah. brand. Yeah, for sure. I like the part of the spin where he mentions that he was at a fundraiser for like av- like he was just like really building up the the sob story. Was he at a fundraiser for African children with one no, leg? No, he was at he was at a fundraiser for uh, avalanche uh, like rescue or awareness uh, organization because his brother died in a avalanche oh. and so he was like really drumming up what a nice event it was and he was at a charity event he remembers no negative interaction so and because he was at a charity event that's it but the thing is like i don't disagree with him that he probably doesn't remember it because i like, agree it he was may one not. it was 18 years ago two like unless you like very obviously actively choose to like grope someone in a very conscious decision it's just a passing thing well, like, and I, th- I mean, like, not unless to you're like, yeah. you know, so, like maybe like tapping someone on the butt, like grabbing like a little cup of feel like it's like because you're like a young, suave guy isn't a big thing. It's pretty innocuous when you're in your 20s. Sure. And that's just the way it if is. I remembered every like, time someone grabbed my tits, just joking, like other women, like just people. I could sure, not like absolutely. and vice versa. I, yeah. pr- I could not remember that. Exactly. There was the time where people did that. It's not to dismiss it. And that's not to say that it wasn't unwelcomed. And he can acknowledge both and he, still be in like and yes. still be honest. He could have definitely said, you know, I don't remember it. But like, you know what? I was young. And when you're young, you do stupid things. So, yeah, it very well could have happened despite my m- not remembering it. And and I'm not then, excusing it. Yeah. And, and since then, I've yeah. done the work and blah, blah, blah. And I'll continue doing the work. That shit is too long. People just lost it at. Oh, yeah. he did it. You know, that's where they yeah. got to. Yeah. All like I, I know. Yes. I, and that's I'm the not exact saying same thing that we said with Bill Clinton. Exactly. Although Bill Clinton got it, it, like visibly agitated and was a bit he was more asshole about it. And well, there'll be more on trust and Trudeau, I'm sure. And we'll see how asshole I didn't he realize gets. I'd heard about this story like a apparently people have this for a long time yeah wanted to run with it and she's not going public uh with her name but so it's it's uh girl confidential if you listen to this podcast i support that decision totally fair decision totally they're probably because all they're gonna do is rip you apart and then you are the only one who's gonna try to pick up those pieces your life will be destroyed okay like no uh, yeah i have total respect for that yeah 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 so my rent and receipts this week is a tweet from Julia Ioffe. She is a correspondent for GQ magazine. She is basically a an expert on Russia. She's covered Russia for the Atlantic and various other publications, um, and has you know done a lot of work um, related to the it, the crisis in the Ukraine and blah blah blah. Anyway, so to give a little background. Um, an American reporter, Allie Watkins, who currently works at the New York Times, um, had her personal and professional correspondence seized by the Justice Department um, earlier this year um, as part of a leak investigation from her ex-boyfriend. So she was uh, a reporter at Politico and at BuzzFeed News and at the Times now covering national security covering the senate intel committee and her boyfriend of three years 
um, who was recently arrested, was an advisor on the Senate Intel Committee. So she was basically reporting on the things that he was working on and had basically very sensitive access to. And so um, she has, so it's like a a big issue of like the First Amendment and whatever. But uh, since the story has come out, um, you know, Allie Watkins is 26 and her ex-boyfriend is 57. Hmm. I'm sorry, what? Yes. What? Yes. Yes, I know. Yes. Yeah. Um, Did you say 26 or 36? 26. And her boyfriend is what? 57. Ex-boyfriend, 57, yes. Of three years. Yeah, they they dated for three years when she was 22. Anyway, um, (laughs) you should see Erica's face. Um, The big focus, in addition to, like, the First Amendment rights that have been um, violated from Ali Watkins was basically the fact that of this relationship and the relationship between a reporter and someone who works in government who could be a potential source. And the, the media has this focused on this relationship ad nauseum. And rec- this week, a story came out that was a 3,000-word gr- gratuitous gossip item on one of the New York Times' own reporters. So the New York Times wrote about their own reporter, mm. very salacious, um, saying that she has been, you know, this is talking to, and she is now has a mentor, and oh. her her beat has now changed. She's now covering something else, and she's going to be mentored. And she know. was outed by her own paper, like no, not outed, but like they, they yes, because like the New York Times has an obligation to report on what's happening in the media and what's happening with the government, right? Which rec- it also includes. But you what's said it happening. was a salacious gossip, and not well, it was. Just like a very salaciously written kind of yeah. thing that focused on their relationship. That's my, yeah. And um, anyways, Julia Ioffe's tweet um, and uh, Rosie Gray from The Atlantic were, was also tweeting this. So Rosie G- Gray from The Atlantic, formerly of also BuzzFeed News, says, I just can't get over how much it sucks that the New York Times chose to participate in the shaming of Allie Watkins rather than focus on the real pressing issues raised by the government's actions in this case. So basically saying that they focused on Allie Watkins's relationship and her failure to disclose her relationship to her previous employers and how she was just young and naive and her sex life is now the focus of the conversation. And Julia Ioffe says, I completely agree with Rosie. It's also, it's also stunning to see how differently the paper treated the cases of Allie Watkins and Glenn Thrush, almost like there are different standards for the sex lives mm. of men and women. And it was, I think, earlier this year um, where Glenn Thrush, the former White House correspondent for the New York Times, um, faced allegations of sexual harassment where he would go to a work party for like a retirement or like someone was leaving and he would sidle up and sit next to a young reporter and kind of talk to her and they would drink and drink and drink and he would be acting like a mentor and then all of a sudden he would try to like kiss them when they were leaving and they would like get upset and deny him and then he would go and talk shit about him them at at work the next day God, and so basically Glenn Thrush was suspended for th- 3 months and then moved to a different beat and so no longer works 
on the White House. But he sexually harassed women. She had a relationship. Yeah, yeah, a consensual so relationship. A three-year Over fucking three committee years. committed relationship. Exactly. So I just want to so raise the, fuck the awareness. So how does he get moved to a new beat? What the fuck is this? Because they found... And this is the New York Times? Yes. Fuck me. Okay, go on. Yeah, Sorry. so just like the, the different standards that we have when we talk about the relationships of men and There's women. so much so wrong. And one, <laughs> well, an employer supporting their employees. Like they threw her under the bus. Instead of going after the crux of the issue, yeah. they make it about the fact that in, she needs to be closely supervised and monitored in her new appointment. And that don't worry, we've got an eye on her. It's almost like they're saying we do agree that like she like, you know, should be on someone's shit list. It's ours or the government's, but she has done something that's out of bounds. They they hung her out to dry is what they did. They basically imply that the relationship was basically so that she could have inside info on the Senate Intel Committee, which I don't. But they don't fucking like he has said that wasn't the case and he wasn't a source for her. Or go investigate that, and then like, and then when you have a result, then you can discipline someone. Well, Essentially, she's being demoted. It's or an re- FBI. The FBI's charged him with whatever. Well, so. they've charged they've charged him, and but that's and him. the New York Times, as the employer, has its own obligation to investigate well, what they, her own her own they, involvement. They didn't find anything, but the issue is none of this went down when she was. They had already moved her. No, none of this went down when she was a, an employee of the time. She's only oh, worked she there was employee th- at the previous. She was at previous. Okay, okay, so they threw her under the bus, under yeah. the bus recently. Yes. is basically because it. They, she, they only found out six weeks ago, maybe that she had had her documents seized by the Justice Department because she wasn't allowed to say anything because there was an ongoing investigation. Okay, that's the other thing is that is that this investigation so done the, by the Justice Department, and I use that term loosely. I don't. I, I didn't see the. Can, I didn't see where the probable cause or the evidence was. Not probable cause, but where the evidence was to charge or to have her documents seized. Well, there. I guess there's evidence in his investigation. Ch- yeah, because he's being investigated for leaks. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 messy, but there's a way to yeah. report on it. That isn't like let's expose what we now are agreeing are shortcomings of her reporting or her abilities and to they re- didn't continue to take report. the care to do so. Yeah, because they seized her documents as a part of a separate investigation. She's not barred from attending or reporting on these issues. Yeah, she herself hasn't been tried. It makes no sense. It's, it doesn't. It's like this. It's like a weird disguised discipline for her that they're almost like it's like they're acting like they're doing her this favor or whatever but it she's actually being penalized well and the government's very um anti-woman no they're they're very concerned about it because she was a nom- uh nominated for a pulitzer for some of her senate intel reporting <laughs> oh shit so oh i can't oh man yeah are yeah, they well are messy. that's my question is like is the government just harassing her or no, I think they've left her alone now. Okay. Well, sure, but I, I see your point. Like, if her, her if her reporting was like that groundbreaking, maybe they they have something to to fear. Yeah. Uh, and that she's she has. I don't trust know, these yeah. institutions. They've been taken over by fucking. I like. I don't even know. Like, you know, like White Walkers or something. Ah, oh, Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, and I stress the white. <laughs> yep. So I I really I I can't even you can't even say well the justice department 
wouldn't move unless they had something because you can't trust the fucking justice department led by what's his no, fuck? and if you're what's his yeah, fuck yeah and if you're the times and you have someone who has what happened to the commitment po- to journalism pro- well, and and protecting your sources which we you meant like it's like that's like at the paramount you know like tenet of journalism and you have someone who's a pulitzer prize nominated writer on your payroll who has who you know may have an issue of being compelled now by the justice department of revealing her sources we don't know where this is going to lead and instead of like backing her and backing those foundational tenets of journalism you're actually like it's like oh we're fine we're just going to give her another beat to do please don't pay any mind to her she will supervise her don't worry we got this it is very paternalistic, I will yeah. say that. But there's something, something, there's something rotten, and it's just this story smells like it just smells of government overreach. Number one, like, and then the New York Times. This is, I'm convinced that this is why centrists are just so out. You can't trust them; they turn on you, and I feel like. That is exactly why nobody, like, centrists are losing all over the world. Oh, is it my turn? (laughs) Okay. So, so a few weeks ago, probably about two or three right now, um, the Carters released, dropped an album in the middle of the fucking night again, Mm -hmm. and released ape shit the i think it's the first single off that album everything is love um okay so i first of all am going i love this video i absolutely love it and um total disclosure i used to study art history so and i you know been to the louvre and like i just love this video because of I'm like, I saw that. I know which room it's. Anyway, um, I appreciate. And especially since Jay-Z loves art, I I love the fact that he's bringing this, like he's maturing hip-hop into spaces that hasn't really previously been seen um, by black people except cleaning it. Anyway, so um, Freeze.com, which is a nice little art... um, platform or a blog or whatever you call it uh wrote an article where an art historian explains what the carter's take over of the louvre says about art race and power and it's really super interesting but i feel like i'm just gonna read little pieces of it because i feel like i'll get excited and nobody else will so okay um so basically Apeshit is an arresting, this is the article, Apeshit is an arresting, and I would even go so far as to say brilliant video for what it does and does not do, for what it reveals and conceals, for the ways in which it meaningfully appropriates, exploits, and reinterprets Western paintings and sculptures as a way to chart and celebrate the Carter's public and commercial success and black bodies in an artistic canon inextricably linked to histories of colonialism. The video is an unapologetic visual and sonic manifesto about spaces, power, and control. 
To be sure, Ape Shit is all about bodies and orchestrated contrast of energetically writhing and animated black physiques set against frozen white forms of the past. It is about establishing a new order in which black bodies seize and command cultural and physical spaces from which they have traditionally been excluded and are typically marginalized. It's about arrival and survival through declaration of one's hard-earned position in society. So um, this is interesting, especially since um, we've been seeing all over social media, black people in just even public spaces being um, marginalized within their citizen born and bred rights, right? By white people calling the police on them for everything from a little girl selling fucking lemonade mm-hmm. to um i can't remember what the other one was there's so many um the, mowing the lawn yeah. the guy mowing the lawn and the woman who was canvassing she's yeah, right that one came off. out today yeah. yeah so mess so um now there is a feminist take on this which i thought i'm gonna just pose to you guys so the article goes on to say that one of the f- paintings featured is Marie Benoit's sorry my bad portrait of a negress uh, painted in 1800 a highly complex portrait of a black woman it is also one of the few works of art during the period to showcase a black person as the sole subject and object of a highly finished work of art Beyonce has made highly selective corporeal and cultural choices in order to deliver a powerful message about her own hard-won and well-deserved place of power in the Western world. Her body and that of other women in this video is sexualized by way of sensuous movement, revealing clothing, glimpses of bulging bust lines and beckoning cleavages. By eliminating the body of the black woman, in the portrait, Beyonce has demonstrated her power to sexualize her own and other black women's bodies when and if she chooses, affording her and her black female entourage a lot more agency and control over their bodies than that of a slave. Okay. I have an issue. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it goes back to the idea, I think, of the idea of feminism being collective versus being about the individual, being about the ability to buy and sell other forms of humanity as the, as being, as being perpetuated as a certain arrival in a certain class rather than um, breaking down some of the structures that make that possible. (laughs) Um, I don't art. I hate museums. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. <laughs> that was Wrong a big fucking cold pot of water, by the way. <laughs> My yeah. God. I just Something went through a visual and sonic manifesto about spaces, places, and power. Like, come on. I loved every second of that. And I'm Thank very you. envious that you studied art history. It's my, like, fantasy degree. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I did the dirtiest look. I right I now. know. It's okay, to be fair, look. I didn't finish the degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you went to economics. I went into economics fair. and got real, fair. but I I carry it in my heart. I also studied a little bit of classics, so that really. Anyway, that's my a little bit about my background. But <laughs> you miss I don't art. 
Okay, what do you think, Amy? Uh, <laughs> no, I uh, I had actually read uh, this piece before, uh, like before hearing it now, and it's just it's so well done uh, to reflect on it in that way. It's hard to know what to take in when you first watch the video because mostly you're just like, I can't believe they fucking got to do this. So it's just like so impressive. I'm, I'm like, like, like how the did they access get there? is nuts. It's like just sensory overload. It's it's so um, it's amazing. Like yeah. it's it's um like a huge. It's like feet, like the da- like the dancing, together, the, the dancing, the, the movements, the, uh, the outfits, the art, the like everything juxtaposed together. It's like trying to figure out some sort of like meaning behind it. It's yeah. just like I'm glad someone much. could break it down for me, though. Be- but like I'm really taken by it. So am and I. Ta- yeah. yeah. And then I mean, like there's other in terms of the song and taking in like some of the, the language. I mean, there is something about the you know, the strive towards capitalism that I always find off-putting about Beyonce's lyrics and certainly Jay-Z's lyrics. And, like, I get the context in which it exists. It's and a very, sense, very it's, American it's approach. Revolu- yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, like, I think, like, in a black American experience, it's revolutionary to be, like, and now all my kids are going to be on the Forbes list and, like, shit like that. And, like, like there, that has meaning and it's, it is about power. It's just, it's, I do still feel a bit frustrated that we still talk about power in that way, which I find to be a little bit crude in, and reductionist. In terms of wealth? In terms of wealth okay. and, like, on an individual level and, like, the bluntness of, like, that kind of wealth. On the flip side of that, when you talk about, like, well, like wealth and inheritance and like intergenerational wealth is actually really powerful for people with the backgrounds like Jay-Z and Beyonce have and like how little they like for that for them that they are even able to do that even if it is like individual which it's not because they give a lot and they're they have like they run businesses that employ like there's like a whole other context they're changing also the culture and what we talk about and so many things that will hopefully lead to strides for other people. But even on the individual level, it's actually really radical. It is. It, um, it, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty radical video. I thought it was, I mean, it, I, to be able, I think the whole idea of access and it's true. It's the juxtaposition of black bodies in white spaces. It's, it's the idea of, uh, and I think she raps in it too. Like, yeah, better than he does. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but also taking up from your point, it is this idea of intergenerational wealth creation that they are really, really selling hard. Mm-hmm. They're saying we make culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you and we profit off making that culture, but hell, we made it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we it is pretty radical for a black person to profit off black culture yeah. in yeah. such a way yeah. that Absolutely. it enters into white spaces. That's right. Spaces that I kid you not, like I'm pretty sure 10, 15 years ago, this would never have been able to be done. Like it's pretty radical, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think that's right. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that hip hop is now the popular music, right? But I think that is also because, well, there's two things. One, it's just like become just more popular. But two, you've got people like Jay Z and like Kendrick, to a degree Kanye, but less so, who are making it more 
political, making it more cerebral and making it more about other things than what like 99 problems was about. Yeah. Um, or, I, or, um, big pimpin. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that the growing up of, of hip hop gives it a little bit more legitimacy in these white spaces, which allows them to enter into like one of like the most white spaces given the, the art that is there and to like show them in front of the Mona Lisa, which is like the most famous white woman. Um, so that, that's like pretty, a pretty big statement. Um, yeah. So I think that the growing up and the maturing of, of hip hop is, kind of where we're at i think that's the next step for hip-hop i'm glad you brought that up because you know when i thought i thought jay-z was i at the time jay-z and kanye both but let's not do that um jay-z was always growing up hip-hop i think of blueprint three and how we use those instrumental the man traveled with a band with a full band i i saw that concert Amazing. I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of take issue with the idea that like hip hop has to like mature or has matured and therefore Shh. receives like some sort of like legitimacy. And uh, the unfortunate like history of most mainstream music is that it has its roots maybe in in black culture and just like n- people never were like received the cut of those things. Maybe it's not necessarily. But that's the growing. point. But th- yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't know. I think it, yes. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I think that it is a maturing, but I think it's also like reflective of like Jay Z's billionaire status, right? Like, you know, they're they're that rich where they can live a certain type of lifestyle, which is reflected in the music that they're making. Like, he can't rap about selling drugs anymore. Like, that's disingenuous, R- right? But I have no issue with people rapping about selling drugs and thinking that that's high art. No. But because like people sing about frivolous shit all the time and sh- still oh, rake it in. Yeah. And I think my like m- my frustration is that it's unfor like it, it, I mean, the rev- the the revelatory like aspect of this as like that it's taken this long f- for for the creators and the like innovators of a particular art form to actually profit from it as opposed to like, you know, did it, like. I mean, who's like Elvis is taking oh, credit for rock and I roll. Love, I love that you brought up Elvis because yeah. that's no, exactly you know I mean? who like, popped all, into like, my head. You yeah. know, and I, you mm-hmm. know, I don't I'm not trying to I don't want to overstate that. But like, that's the issue. And for like, you know, decades, if not centuries, that was the norm. But I think that's what's so different about hip hop is that you have people who are of that. You have the I'm sorry to bring him up because he's, you know, um, a rapist, Russell Simmons, and, you know, all of those, you know, Run DMC and stuff, who are able to profit off their own music. I heard, I saw the other day that 2 Chains of all people, now owns his own fucking catalog. I thought to myself, that is revolutionary. That's who owns their yeah, catalog? Yeah, that is the cool. Beatles didn't even own their catalog. No. Yeah. Uh, you know what it... Michael Jackson did oh, right. most of it, yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, Michael Anyway, all this to say that that I thought that like there's so many different yeah. facets to this and I love that we're seeing the performance art from 
Beyonce and Jay-Z kind of mature too. There is a performance art. Sorry, hold on to that, Aaron. There is a performance art aspect of their presentation now that is just above and far beyond anybody else. Yeah. I think that like we we don't give Jay-Z enough credit for his evolution. Yes. I think we give we have Beyonce credit for her her evolution as an from Destiny's Child and like their horrific matching outfit. <laughs> they were horrific. Awful to Ooh, her Darion jeans that Miss Tina made. No. Which were also awful. They were awful. To her feeling herself on that surprise album she dropped like just before Christmas a few yep. years ago to Lemonade to now. And, but we don't give Jay Z that same credit. No, we don't. And I we, find it all we talk about with him is like, oh, he's not as good of a rapper anymore. Yeah. And I don't think he gives a shit because apparently he just became creative director of Puma. <laughs> and so which i found funny because kanye is so up in adidas so yeah. i was like no, that's yeah. uh, there's something there there's, there's something there but that, the point yeah. is is that that's where jay-z's trajectory is heading he drops an album just to keep people quiet every now and then you know what i mean although i do think that this this kind of trilogy this j this beyonce lemonade jay-z 444 mm-hmm. and this everything is love this this complete trilogy makes sense to me now and look as i look back i see beyonce growing jay-z growing in their different ways and then all they them being this super couple together so like there's also that aspect but jay-z has made no qualms about wanting to be corporate and wanting to run corporate some type of corporate enterprise. There was a time, though, where Jay-Z did get uh, a bit more credit for that sort of thing. Do you yeah. remember his book, Decoded, or yeah. whatever it's called? And I mean, Is that after the Black Album? I feel like after the Black Album. A- after around the same time. Yeah. And he yeah. like was taking far more like political and public roles. Um, and I think I think he got a lot of uh, exposure around that and like mm. probably do accolades and then he was outshone and you know what if I you know I I'm fine with that like to me this is not <laughs> I still think of it as a Beyonce album and I agree <laughs> he's, like, he's a featured al- artist on it. that's how I see it so but that you know, goes and, to a long and, and history I agree, of like I don't know that, if yeah. he wants to be doing this anymore to your point like yeah. I don't know that he's like I need to be doing music I need to be made he may I mean he's producing like he's his eye and his ear are still obviously very much involved, but in terms of you yeah. know, being on the mic, I don't know if that's. I think shit. publicly, I think they've figured this shit out, mm-hmm. and I think it's for us to piece it together. I think publicly, she is the face of them. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I will always say he probably runs things in the home to a certain extent. I feel like that's Jay Z. Um, but anyway, I think... I don't know about any more. Well, after Lemonade? <laughs> yeah. Um, but their, pers- their public image is largely her. Mm-hmm. And maybe they did some cost-benefit analysis somewhere and thought that, okay, we're not going to be this super couple right? in, in terms of the mu- like what we do in music. 
But as part of our empire, we each have our kind of lanes. Mm -hmm. And I'll do pop or music, you do corporate. And I feel like that's their marriage, so to speak. But it's really interesting. I find it fascinating. Great. Well, uh, that's it for this week. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook.com slash Bad and Be Podcast, and send us your emails. Send us comments. Send us suggestions for things to talk about. Love notes. Love notes. Love a love note. Um, Do we love hate mail more? Sometimes. Yes, it depends. It's got to be creative enough for us to mock it well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I need a mockery every now and then. Don't make so. it predictable, you know? Yeah. Like, get creative. Um, but also send us uh, your questions for our Dear Bitches column. Badandbepod at gmail.com. Bye. 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 Bye